This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Last year was a good year for me photographically. I set out to refine my way of seeing, composing, and creating photographs. And though I wasn't prolific with my image making, I was certainly much more intentional. And I saw that reflected in the best photographs that I created in 2018. Yet by the end of the year, I recognized that there was something missing from my work. I wanted to do more than just produce a single good photograph. So I began working on several personal projects that are less about making a nice looking photograph and more about telling stories, some of which are very personal ones. When I saw that my friend and fellow photographer Valerie Jardin was doing very much the same thing with her series on artists, I immediately wanted to sit down and talk with her and find out how someone who is known as a street and travel photographer began this series of environmental portraits. And that's when I thought about this project, the artist and the space. It's not about the art itself. It's about the person and their space. So I'm talking with a painter named Carl. You know, I would love to be able to paint and draw like they do. So I'm always so excited to meet those people. And then they introduced me to a glass artist from England upstairs. So it was like, whoa, this is what I want to do, but I want to do it now. So I emailed Carl and I said, when can I come? I just, I'm going to be a fly on the wall not moving anything, not disrupting anything, just as is. Black and white, all in camera goodness, because I did not want to do much, if any, post-processing to those pictures. That was really a personal project. I have no intention of doing anything with it other than feed my creative soul when I'm not teaching others. With much of our time focused on earning a living, it's difficult to dedicate time to personal work and personal projects. But As my conversation reveals, a creative person can't afford not to find time to dedicate to creating a body of work that is inspired by more than just wanting to meet the bottom line. And, you know, there are many ways we can make a living with our photography, but I love educating and inspiring, and that's how I I make a living. I mean, I do sell my work as fine art, but this would be a full-time job if I wanted to make a living at that. And even then, I don't think I could, especially not with street photography. But I don't get a kick out of it, like I do being on the streets with students or Mm -hmm. working on personal projects that bring absolutely no money at all. I just do it because I love it. Uh, Certainly, I'm not going to start doing things just with the dollar signs attached to it. You know, it it pays, it pays, it doesn't. You know, I'm loving every minute of it. It's a a luxury to be able to say that. I'm aware, but no matter where you're at with your photography, you need to work on a personal project because then you you don't compromise. If you work for clients all week... You're not feeding your own artist's soul. You're you're compromising with somebody else's vision. It's so, so important to work just for you, just for you, not having to please anyone else but you. And as street photographers, that's already what we do. We, we don't have to please anyone else but ourselves. But this type of personal project, the visual stories, I think are just so much fun and so accessible. We'll talk to Valerie about how this project is nurturing her creatively and why she chooses to work with a single focal-length camera to create her photographs. Welcome to The Candid Frame. Well, Valerie, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Always nice to talk to you as well. It's been interesting to watch what you've been doing over the last couple of years because there's many people who've listened to the show before who who follow you elsewhere know you for your street photography. But you've really been exploring other facets of your creativity um, by working on these personal projects. Last year you were doing that series where you were teaming up with the uh, hairstylist with, who is providing haircuts to the homeless in Paris mm-hmm. and in... Joshua Coombs. And yeah, in, in Los Angeles, which was, I mean, in New York. And that was just a wonderful, heartwarming, 
example of how photographers can really use their work to be of service. But as of late, you've been working on even another project, just photographing artists in their homes or in the studios. And I love seeing thus far. Tell me, what, what spurred you to take on another personal project rather than just, you know, wandering the streets? <laughs> well, uh, the work with Josh, that's ongoing. We will shoot in other cities in 2019. We had a big exhibit of the work. We published two books. And the goal is to actually do a large coffee table book with the photographs and the stories of Do Something for Nothing and uh, hashtag Do Something for Nothing. So doing that type of work with you know humanitarian projects, that I will always do. That's something that I had been wanting to do for a long time. And Josh and I work well together. Together. I just, he's, he's part of the family now and he's just a wonderful human being. So I, I hope to be able to continue working with him for, for quite, a, quite a, a few more cities. And then I will be looking for other humanitarian projects, but more on the grassroots scale, not huge NGOs. You know, I, I like the intimacy of this type of project. And so while I, we're waiting to, uh, to hit the streets together again and help more people, by telling their stories. It's winter in Minnesota. And as you know, mm -hmm. that's home base for now. And it's it's difficult to be a street photographer when you have five plus months of snow. I was just back from um, my last trip about a month ago. I finished teaching uh, my European workshops actually November 1st. So uh, it was a I, I taught a couple more since then, but so it's 12 workshops this year, I think, and half of them were week long. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty tired and thinking, oh, coming back to Minnesota. I left Minnesota, you know, it was still beautiful fall season. And then I came back and there was snow and it was very cold. It was a really early cold winter this year. I mean, it's early December and we've already We've already had snow for a couple months, so it's going to be a long one. Granted, I, I travel a lot, but I think that now that I travel more, it seems like winter is even more brutal mm -hmm. <laughs> than when I stayed put all winter. Seriously, like the next day after I landed, I went, I had been thinking about doing something locally with artists because whenever I go to artist studios and we have such an amazing, amazing art community in, in St. Paul and Minneapolis that I always love studio space. I think the light is always beautiful. It's usually in those old factories that were converted into artist studios. So love everything about it. And so the day after I came back, we went to an art opening. So there are literally like 400 studios open in one building. This is how crazy those those art communities are. It's really, really big. And then I explored a new building, which I had not seen before. It's called the California Building. Much smaller, maybe 20 artists, maybe more, but only about half of them were open that day. And it was really, it was different because there was not the big crowd that attracted that that was attracted to those really, really big artist communities. It was very intimate, very low-key. And I started talking with some of the artists there. And that's when I thought about this project, the artist and the space. It's not about the art itself. It's about the person and their space. I started talking with a painter named Carl. And I have a, it seems like I make friends everywhere I go. And Carl and I, can, we parted ways as if we had known each other for a long time because we had a few things in common. And then he said, oh, you should check out Patricia downstairs and did that. And again, it's like, oh, it was so great to talk to you. I feel so, uh, you know, I, I would love to be able to paint and draw like they do. So I, I'm always so excited to to meet those people. And then, then I, they introduced me to a glass artist from England upstairs. So it was like, wow, this is what I want to do, but I want to do it now. So I, I emailed Carl and I said, when can I come? I just, I'm going to be a fly on the wall, which is, I'm just going to shoot your space and you as you work not moving anything, not disrupting anything, just as is. Black and white, all in camera goodness, because I did not want to do much, if any, post-processing to those pictures. That was it, really a personal project. I have no intention of doing anything with it other than feed my creative soul when I'm not teaching others. And boy, it's been addictive. I released five visual stories in under five weeks. And I have uh, several more in the works, so I'm excited about it. 
What's interesting about it is that you're primarily known as a street slash travel photographer. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I often get, because I do similar work, is like, well, do you make any money from that? You know, <laughs> how do you make a living from doing those kinds of photographs? And for me, the answer I give sometimes is the idea that I may not make money directly from those photographs, but the skills that I learn as a result of making those types of images inform everything else that I do. Yep. My question to you is, how does the, unpredictab- you know, the unpredictability of the streets help you when you're working with just a solitary subject within a relatively confined space to make better photographs? Oh, it, it makes everything else so look seem so easy in a way because you know how difficult street photography is. And, and here I control, whereas on the streets, you have control of your gear and your vision mm-hmm. and you have no control over what people are going to do. But I'm, I'm really using, I'm really doing this project candidly. I never... I, I'm not asking the artist to to move so the light is better or anything. I really dance around them. I, I see some uh, some silhouette opportunities because usually they have those large windows. So I really work this way. I haven't yet. And all five artists that I photographed asked them, oh, could you do this again? See, I approach it completely the same way in a way. It's funny because I haven't thought about it. But nothing is staged at all. I don't even want to move paintbrushes that are sitting in a pot. Mm -hmm. I'm just working around them and dancing around them to get, you know, I step over things. So I get really close. I get right over their shoulders like I would because my camera is is quiet, like I would, you know, on the streets. And so I, I think the streets gave me the skills to work this way and get the shots. I mean, the shots then become much more predictable because I have time to work more time than when I'm on the street. So, but there is a, it's really the street that has given me those skills. So you walk into a space, what are the first things that you look for and how does that lead you into, you know, your initial photographs of the scene and the subject? Well, then again, the spaces are so different. Some are very uh, romantic, you know, artists, ateliers are very, there's so much little personal touches and and so those are easier because they have a lot of little things that are not related to their paintings but just uh like I, I one thing come to mind when I photographed Carl's studio the first thing that drew my attention and it was snowing outside so it was really nice we had this really white backdrop through that big window and then they had two little metal birds I think mm-hmm. they were made of metal cast iron sitting on the the windowsill or the radiator and that's what caught my eye immediately because when you walk into the space the the window is at the end and you see those two little silhouettes those tiny silhouettes of those birds and that's exactly the first shot I took and I played with those birds from different angles and then from that I jumped to other things that were on the shelves. Same with Patricia's space. There, there are a lot more windows, but she has like an old straw hat hanging mm-hmm. on a hook and things like that. And those are those details. I love photographing still life and details. And, and they tell so much about the person. So I usually start doing that. And then we chat a little bit. And then they they start working. I say, oh, just do whatever you're doing. You know, they start working on whatever painting or anything they, they're doing. And then... Uh, and then I, I'm talking a lot when I'm shooting because mm-hmm. we have a conversation. They, I learn a lot about their art and what they're doing. And then I walk the space and then I, I come near them and I photograph them and I see a, possibil- a possibility for some rim light, you know, when they lean to put the brush back on their, the board where they have their paint. And so then I, I stand there for a while because I know, okay, they're going to do that. They're going to do that again in a few minutes. So it's really about the uh, anticipation of what they're going to do. So you you, you learn. Mm-hmm. And then I usually photograph the space. If I do, the space from a wider perspective Last, I usually start with the details, work with the artist, more details, gesture, and then and then the space. Sometimes and I'm only shooting with one lens. The whole project is one lens, black and white in camera, black and white. Everything is done in, in camera, very little cropping, if any. 
and 35 millimeter on the X Pro 2, which is outside my comfort zone. So I'm really pushing things because I am a 23 millimeter shooter, which is 35 equivalent. And this, because I needed a really fast lens and I wanted to take my X Pro 2 out a little bit because it's it's kind of neglected, (laughs) I put my fastest lens, which is the 35 1.4. Because some of those studios are really dark too. There are some corners where it's really dark. I mean, I don't care about the ISO. I let it go you know if it's going to 6400 it goes to 6400 and it's okay it really is an exercise in limitations really Uh, when it comes down to it it's an exercise in limitations i only shoot horizontal frames no verticals Mm -hmm. i almost did a square project but i decided no i'm just going to do it just never use this vertical just horizontal so that there is consistency in the project and i'm loving it it's really fun it's so much fun to see you sort of focus the way you see in just one sort of limited area in terms of subject mm-hmm. matter. Because I look at your photographs all the time on Instagram and I always love your work. But having you so focused is really interesting to learn how you've been applying everything that you've learned and practiced on the street to this. Of your images of Patricia, the one that I love the most is the one that's backlit. She's reaching back onto the... Uh, I guess the palette where her paints mm-hmm. are and she's sort of edge lit and then you yeah. have those little figurines that are silhouetted against the window and you see her painting on the left and that that image is just so stunningly beautiful just the oh, quality of the light the contrast the gesture and all the elements in that shot tell you the story and all of those small little details are meant to be there. And then you have this other shot of just the curtain hanging just above a radiator. Yes, and the stains from the water on it. (laughs) Because, you know, you have the obvious shots, of course, of her painting. But I think these are great examples of how much further a photographer can take it if they're really carefully observing and taking their time. Because, you know, I could give someone an assignment to photograph a painter and all they would do is photograph them painting. It's mm-hmm. like, man, there's so much to be had when you have the the luxury and the access, and you really are demonstrating that in these photographs. Oh, and it's so accessible, too. You know, I think working on personal projects, that it's the most important part. And not always thinking of, oh, well, maybe that could be a book, or maybe that could be this. Not, I really don't care. And maybe it will be. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to have 20 artists by by the end of winter. The way it's going, I might, because <laughs> I can't wait to do the next one. I, I'm going on a trip, so I have to wait a week. But I am just loving this so much. I could be out there every day. And just to know that I I have, you know, you know how it is in between workshops, then you're stuck in your office. And mm-hmm. like I'm doing like recording marathon this week. Week, recording for me, recording for recording for others, and then uh, I just am itching to get out and and talk with people and and be on another workshop. And so because it's my slower season, just getting me out the door just with that goal. And I know that not only I will you know feed my creative soul, but I'm going to make friends. You know, mm-hmm. and and yesterday I was just uh, with my son. We went to uh, we're walking around downtown St. Paul, and uh, I walked into a, a flower shop, and I I walked in. I said, hmm, I had never thought of it, but this is art, and. I would really like to include a floral artist to in my series. So I just walked in and I talked with the young man who was uh, working and it, it was and the space again is so beautiful. And I said, yeah, it's black and white and we're talking flowers, but it doesn't matter. It's not about the art. It's about the artist and the space. And so I explained to him, I showed him some pictures and he said, yeah, that would be great. Come, uh, come anytime. We're busy at the end of the, usually at the end of each week because we do a lot of composition for weddings and such like that. So it's the best time to come and see us in action. So I have a violin maker lined up, a musician. So I'm trying to get a variety of different, you know, different uh, mediums and men and women, not just, uh, yeah, so kind of uh, a mix of uh, of different things. And I'm really having having fun. And the, the work with Joshua Coombs, although very different, it was really about raising awareness. Obviously, same thing. You know, we had an exhibit, the, the photographs were not even for sale. It's really about raising awareness. We get, you know, finding sponsors to help us because obviously we're not making any money uh, doing this. 
but those are the projects that are the, the closest to my heart. I, without which, I think it would just become a job. Oh, and we know how much we hate those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, there are many ways we can make a living with our photography, but I love educating and inspiring, and that's how I, I make a living. I mean, I do sell my, my, my work as fine art, but I have no time to, this would be a full-time job if I wanted to make a living at that. And even then, I don't think I could, especially not with street photography. Uh, whatever it happens, it happens. But it, I don't get a kick out of it. Like I do being on the streets with students or mm -hmm. working on personal projects that bring absolutely no money at all. I just do it because I love it. I, you know, if I was 20 or 25, maybe I would uh, do things I don't like just for money. But I'm not anymore. And I, I certainly am not going to start doing things just with the dollar signs attached to it. You know, it bring it, it pays, it pays, it doesn't, you know, I'm loving every minute of it. It's a, it's a luxury to be able to, to, to say that I I'm aware, but no matter where you at with your photography, you need to work on personal project because then you have, you don't compromise. If you work for clients all week, mm -hmm. You're not feeding your own artist's soul. You're you're compromising with somebody else's vision. It's so, so important to work just for you, just for you, not having to please anyone else but you. And as street photographers, that's already what we do. We, we don't have to please anyone else but ourselves. But this type of personal project of visual stories, I think, are just so much fun and so accessible. Yeah. You know, when it comes to uh, street photography, there's always sort of a nervousness as you're first starting your day to go out and photograph, at least for me, right? And it's only the process of making the photographs that finally get me past those moments of nervousness and anxiety. But, you know, with, with the people that we're photographing on the streets, it's just momentary encounters. You, you know, they may not even be aware of your presence as you make your photographs. But... Since you're photographing someone in such an intimate space, talk to me about that sort of initial nervousness because you're going in cold. You don't scout these locations whatsoever going in. So I would imagine that you probably feel a little bit of nervousness going in. But tell me how you sort of walk through that, especially considering that there's someone else observing what you're doing in a way that doesn't typically happen happen on the streets. Well, I don't know. I'm not really nervous. I'm really excited. And I think I communicate that to them because they're pretty relaxed. And we chat and you know, they're not clients. So they, they feel I think they're they're happy to mm -hmm. be to be featured in my series because they for the first one I guess he took a gamble because he didn't see any <laughs> previous. <laughs> but you know, they're not paying for anything. They're, I'm only taking an hour of their time. I'm not moving anything. They don't have to be dressed in a certain way or anything. I'm just showing up and they're at work. So we chat and I think I make them pretty comfortable because I don't direct anything. And, and that's, I think that's the key. So I'm not, I'm not nervous. The only one I was a bit more nervous was the glass artist because, you know, I had just photographed two painters. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was the glass artist. And his space was very industrial. You know, there was no little knickknacks on the shelves there. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was very industrial, very dusty. He had an, an, a guitar sitting there all, you know, with dust. And everything was just like, whoa, this was much harder because the, the space is not pretty like it is in a, in a painter's studio or... Yeah a designer or a jewelry artist. So it was really make, and it was glass. He was working with glass, which is, you know, clear. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I have to make something, you know, still tell the story and give the visual story of his space and what he does. And, and but you know what? The passion was the same. That's the thing that was beautiful. Although the space was completely different, the medium was so different, but the passion that he had for his craft was exactly the same. And I think because I have so much passion for what I do, there is that instant connection, I think. It's artist to artist. So I'm not... Uh, now, although I I don't seem like I'm the most Zen person, I certainly am not, but I feel so at peace when I do that. And just walking into that studio space, it feels like I'm home. So I and it may be because I'm so relaxed and not worried about delivering good work because no one will care if that mm -hmm. photo shoot fails. Then, you know, it's just me doing my thing. 
And but then I'm so excited. I just can't wait to uh, to look at the pictures and start sharing because I, I just I'm I'm having so much fun. And I think it shows too in the in the work is that it's really a, it's special. One of the challenges that I have this year is scheduling photographers for this year's season. Now, there's no shortage of talented people with interesting stories to tell. No, the challenge is not only narrowing it down to to those few I will sit down and speak with, but having the time to do the needed research to make sure that each conversation is exceptional. Your financial support provides me the luxury of such time, allowing me to have conversations with photographers that you are unlikely to hear anywhere else. Because when I have the chance to do the legwork before the interview, I'm prepared to make these conversations a unique experience for my guests and for you. All that requires time and your financial support provides me just that. So as we move into the season and towards our 500th episode, I hope that you will support The Candid Frame and help us to reach our goal of 100 new Patreon supporters by committing to a reoccurring donation of $5 or more a month. We are slowly reaching that goal and your contribution will be an essential part of making the 2019 season one of the best. Because as some people may not know that you were a commercial photographer before you started teaching Mm -hmm. workshops. So this disparity between how you felt working for a client as opposed to just creating images for your own self, it seems like you're you're making a real distinction between not just how you may have shot, but how you personally felt as part of the process of making photographs. Because in your former life, you were always having to consider what the client wanted or needed or what you anticipated that they wanted. Did that result in you sort of sometimes second guessing your gut in terms of the photographs that's not happening now? Well, it's when I was actually working for client and that I realized I had needed to work on personal project. And that's when I became a street photographer. Ah, So, you know, one thing led to another because you, I mean, I had some wonderful clients who, would tell me, okay, do your magic. We'll see you in a couple of hours. And those were the, the, the awesome clients because who knew I could, I would deliver. They would they would not need to give me a, a shot list. Even they they knew I would just do my thing, and they would be happy with the pictures because they trusted my vision. But there are always the the clients who want to direct, who know better, who say, oh no, you have to shoot this from that angle. So you know you kind of accommodate because they're the client and they're paying you at the end of the day. So you do their shots, and then you do your own. I would already spend a little more time and do my own shots. And guess what? The ones that they ended up licensing were the ones that I I suggested, mm-hmm. not the ones they suggested. So, uh, but it's tiring. Honestly, I really, I, I never missed one minute letting go of my last client about seven years ago. Never looked back. I have worked on some commission work since then. Not very many. I'm very selective. I turned on pretty much everything because I really don't have time, but mm-hmm. there are some that are just too exciting to pass. And it's only if I have full creative freedom. So I'm not going back there again. It's like I'm just way too happy to to do my own thing and shoot just for me. Yeah, I'm the only person I have to please. And then when you teach, then people come to you, obviously, because they like your style, they like your your photograph, they like your teaching style, and they like your personality. So there is a, but I still do my own thing. I'm not shooting to please an audience. And I think that's really important. That is such a huge distinction, yeah. It is, yeah. And even then, you know, I know a lot of friends who feel the, the pressure of social media to always to get the likes and 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 we all we've all been there but i think the day that you don't really care about that anymore and that you said you know what i'm shooting for me i don't care if that's what's in right now because i i mean i know what if i posted silhouettes every day i would get a lot more likes than you know mm-hmm. if, than other things because a lot yeah. of people are like wowed by a beautiful silhouette whereas it's really not the most difficult thing to shoot really but I don't care. I'm I'm shooting 
I, I'm posting, I'm shooting and posting things that make me happy. And people respond to it, great. They don't, it doesn't make any difference to me. So far, I think people like it and they like that I'm just not stuck in a certain way. And I, I totally follow my heart whenever I'm on the street or when I'm photographing anything, really. I just follow my heart and whatever I feel like shooting that day. Maybe I'll get really close to people. Maybe I'm going to be a little more minimalist. It's not a choice that I make, Mm -hmm. but it's a choice that I make when I'm on the street and I get in the zone. And it's just something that I don't control. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way because I know I'm completely in my element and in a great space where I'm given the freedom to shoot exactly the way that I see Mm -hmm. and I shoot and I'm not burdened by having to sort of second guess myself in order to accommodate the client and I've and I've done it and it's always been frustrating Mm -hmm. because I'm 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 not shooting intuitively and it comes really sort of unnatural to me to have to sort of put on the eyes basically of someone else who isn't necessarily a photographer who just knows yep. who knows they're focusing on one particular thing that they want in the shot or how they want it shot and i know that you know that that's just the nature of commercial work but for me especially now that if i am going to do a, a job i really want to do a job where like you said i have complete license to shoot the way i want and i think that that's the way i am now it's like if i want to shoot someone it's like this is the way i do it this is how I approach yeah. it. This is the way I shoot. If you're in line with this and I can give you what you need, then that's great. Let's do it. But yeah. I'm not simply going to do it because I get a paycheck from it and then just have a really bad and frustrating experience because nothing is worse than compromising on your creativity because all of a sudden, as they start making more and more demands on you, they pull you further and further away from the, what you love about making pictures that cumulatively it just eats away at you. Oh, it, it does. I mean, when I when I was working for clients, I, I, at one point I wasn't even taking the camera out on weekends anymore mm-hmm. because I didn't want certainly didn't want any more pictures to post to post process, and I needed a break. And that's when that's when I realized that working on a personal project was so important. And that's when I started blogging. So I, I still work for, for client for a few years after that, but I started, you know, posting my pictures on the blog and, and working on, on different things. And that's, that's when my street photography kind of emerged. And so you, again, you never know. And then one thing led to another and, and, you know, I, I quit my commercial photography business about yeah seven. I've been teaching workshops for almost eight years, and I think I kept a couple clients for the first couple of years, and then slowly just said no. And oh, and there's such a good feeling when you say no, when they call you and say no, sorry, you know, I, I really meant it when I said that was it. I'm not shooting, I'm not shooting interiors anymore or food or whatever it was. Just being able to say no. Without feeling pulled, like oh no, I need to do yeah. this, and because I think you need to commit yourself hundred percent to what you believe in, and it wasn't fair at that point to keep shooting for clients because I wasn't into it anymore, mm-hmm. and I saw that the the year after I started teaching workshops, and I already had, you know, I wasn't even using my my DSLRs anymore. I was just working with smaller cameras. I was having so much fun teaching, and then. Um, I remember the last time I had to pull out my Canon and the to to shoot for a client and I had to use a tripod. I was so miserable. <laughs> like, okay, that's it. That's it. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to let go because it was a good business. You know, there was good money. And it's just hard to f- follow your heart sometimes. You know, your head is like, well, yeah, but it's really not taking that much time to keep doing a shoot once in a while between workshops. But I, I, I felt like it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair for me. And it wasn't fair for the client either because my heart wasn't into it anymore. Yeah. It, with each of these subjects, you include a, a portrait, which is... A different different consideration than you make when you're shooting candidly, as you are for the majority of the photographs. Tell me about sort of leading into the portrait and what different aspects of your seeing and your ability to compose leads into making the the portrait that complements all the other images. 
I usually do the portrait last, except for Carl. I did it first because he had to change into his painting clothes. Mm. (laughs) And uh, and so I said, well, do you want to do the portrait now? And he had this little dog. And, you know, my my dog died a few months ago. So getting my dog fixed every day. And so when... I think that's actually, that's the one thing with Carl when we met at this studio, he had this little dog, it was around Halloween time or right after Halloween, and his little dog was wearing a, a super dog costume. <laughs> and so, I just loved it. And so, and she came to me and cuddled with me. And so, I knew that the dog had to be in that day in the studio. And mm. so when I made the appointment with him, I said, uh, now, right now I can't even remember the dog's name, but I said, um, Bella, Bella, will Bella be there? She said, yes, yeah, she's always there with me. So I said, perfect, because that was such a part of him. Mm-hmm. And so when we did the portrait, I said, we have need to have Bella. But otherwise the, and, and I just loved, I, I did, again, we didn't move anything. He said, should I move the chair? I said, no, we'll just have you sit there and just, just look at me you know, because of the light, look at me this way. But I don't want to move anything. I didn't want to stage anything. Same with all the other ones. You know, I said, well, maybe the, the light will be really harsh. But for Emily, the, the jewelry artist, it was this really harsh light coming through the window. Uh, it was noon. And it was this uh, really, really, really harsh light. And I put her right in the light. I said, you're going to be in the spotlight. It was fun. You know, I did a couple of, of a couple of portraits with her, one where we see her reflection in a mirror as well. But I just felt that that really spotlight was was uh, was more fitting. So, again, I'm having fun with that, but just working with what I have and not posing, really just posing in a way, but letting them just relax and then uh, but not definitely not moving things around. You know, you bring up an excellent point in terms of the light because you're a further north than I am. And we're in that period where there are shorter days. So going in, what questions do you ask? And how do you sort of schedule it so you have some light to, to work with? As long as it's daylight, I don't ask. I I don't even want to know because I want to be surprised. Really? So um, yes, it's another thing, and it's really. First of all, I accommodate their schedule because, especially right now with the holidays and everything, so mm-hmm. everybody's kind of busy. So I said, when can I come? And she said, well, is there a, a time of the day that would be better for you? And I said, no, I, I, whenever is good for you, as long as we have daylight. And so. A couple of days were snowy, but then the sun came out and it's really, really harsh light, which made things more complicated. But then it's part of the challenge. And just mm-hmm. because it's, you know, doing this project for me is also to learn and to to work with difficult light and making it work was part of the challenge. I, I really don't want easy. That would totally defeat the purpose. So I didn't want to say, oh, I'm only going to shoot when uh, I have, you know, really, uh, I, I don't want harsh light coming through the windows because that's going to be really challenging. No, nope, I'm just going to embrace it and work with it. So, yeah, it's fun. And I think it's, yeah, it's fun because they're, it's so spontaneous, I think, too, which fits everything I do pretty much. You mentioned that you're shooting these primarily in black and white. Are you using RAW but plus JPEG? No, nope. nope. I'm shooting JPEG in camera. Uh, Acros, I wouldn't say most of them, but many, many of them don't even go into Lightroom. So they're wow. just, I mean, they go into Lightroom and they go right out because I, I import my pictures, go into Lightroom, tweak if necessary. Sometimes I have to add a little vignette, a lot of faces, so no clarity. And then um, very little cropping, if any, because, it, you know, again, I'm using a fixed lens. So pretty much the cropping is done in camera. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much straight out. Um, very little contrast added because they're also moody and contrasty anyways. And, and I use exposure compensation. I really want to see I, the goal for this project is really to get the pictures straight out of camera as much as possible. So really five second per picture, if any, but several of them are straight out of the camera. Again, it's because I don't like being in post-processing. So if I'm working on a personal project that's going to require post-processing, what's the point? I I don't like that. So it's, it's again, part of the challenge. So you say you spend about an hour. Uh, how many photographs are you making within that time? Um, I would say 40 50 mm, okay. and I 
I, pr- I usually post about 25. So the, the rate of keepers is actually pretty high because, again, I'm in control uh, and I have time. But I don't spend a whole lot of time just because uh, I don't have a lot of time and I don't want to take too much of their time. I don't think I was with Emily, the jewelry artist, even an hour. I spend more time with Carl and Patricia because we talked a lot. <laughs> So that kind of, uh, and also with Harriet, I think we we talked a lot. It was really fascinating. Uh, Harriet is a conceptual artist. Whenever I go to modern art museums, sometimes I'm just like, I don't understand. You know, it's like, why? I don't get it. Or what is this? And Harriet is a very well-known artist. She has, uh, her work is shown all over the world. And she has permanent exhibits here in, in uh, at the Walker Art Center. And listening to her, talk about her vision and the story behind so many of her pieces in the studio was fascinating, fascinating. So I learned so much and I have a, a, a renewed appreciation for this type of, uh, of work. So it, it, it's really, it's win-win. Really. Mm. I make new friends who are artists, local people, and I learn a ton. So, and I'm making pictures of them. So it's awesome. What have you learned about your own creativity as a result of having these discussions with artists that are practicing in a medium that's very different from yours? Well, I find, you know how often the the uh, photographers are considered the, the lesser artists, mm-hmm. you know, because what we do doesn't require a ton of time or, you know, you, you click a shutter and then... Uh, and then you have immediate result and so forth. So especially today it, with with digital and everybody can do it. And you know, like worse there's a painter who's going to spend hours or even days working on a piece. So, and I was afraid in a way when I got into it because I, you know, I photographed some you know, some of the the painters and Harriet. I mean, those people have are, are serious artists, you know, in their field. And and so I was. I was a bit nervous thinking, oh, maybe they're going to think I'm the I'm a lesser artist. And I was so flattered that they, you know, that the way they talked about what I do and and after looking at my work or even looking at the resulting uh, photographs of their shoot, how they were blown away that, you know, I could capture that intimacy uh, in such a short time. So that made me feel really good. Because sometimes, you know, there are some artists out there who work in different fields who who consider photographers kind of the, you know, the lesser artists. I'm sure you've experienced that too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, people out there who are photographers feel that way. But that's not at all what I felt. And it was just really the respect, as much respect for my art as I had for theirs. And I think that was, that made me feel really, really good. Are you getting model releases signed by these subjects? Um, I have them now, and because they're all friends now, I will have to uh, I, I will have to go back and visit them. They've all invited me back in their studio to visit and have coffee or a glass of wine. So I will bring the model releases. I was still working on them when I was doing the second shoot, and then one thing led to another. I forgot to bring it on the last one, but yes, everyone will have a model release because just uh, just to cover my bases, if I want to publish them someday. Because I know them. I mean, I don't ask for model releases, as you know, for street photography. But I did for the the homeless people. I photographed when I was working with Joshua Coombs on the project, and we collected their stories. And I was surprised. No one ever said no to signing a release. And they were all really, you know, they it was a full-page release. They read it, and, and uh, they totally understood that we wanted to raise awareness and they signed them. So with these artists who I have to go back to, yeah, it will be no problem. But yes, I'm bringing releases to the next few. And for people who may not completely understand that, you know, why you might get a lot of release for one type of photograph and another, can you sort of briefly explain for yourself why with both of these personal projects, it's important for you to have model releases as opposed to your street work? Well, First of all, for, for street photography, I only use all of those images are used for for editorial or fine art. So technically, I don't need model releases, anyways. But for the the artist, I'm in their space. It's like being in their homes. So I, they're not in a public place. So I think it's it it's safer to have a model release 
because I'm in their in their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, people on the streets, they're in public places. They don't own the street, you know. So that's a completely different thing. And for the homeless people, the the stories we collected with when I was documenting Josh's work, it's really mainly because they're in a vulnerable situation, and I feel. Even if I never have to use those releases, it felt right to ask them so that they felt comfortable that we were not trying to take advantage and because of the vulnerable and the vulnerable time in their life they're in. So I felt that was that was important. But otherwise, none of these images will ever be used for commercial purposes. So technically, yeah, I wouldn't need them. But but an artist, even though they're not in their home, that's their studio space, it's it's still their home, really. No, that that's an excellent point because I think most people think about needing a model lace when the images are intended for commercial purposes. But the way you're using them, I think it's just it's just as valid. Mm-hmm. I think so. So, and and it's so easy then to uh, you know, and and I've sent the pictures. It's really fun actually to give them the pictures after. I mean, some some of them I've actually offered to. Oh, can I can I buy those pictures from you? I said no. I'm <laughs> sending you high res right away. You know, it's, they're so thrilled. But I'm like, they, they I, you give me a, a gift by allowing me to come into your space and spending an hour or two with you. And so the least I can do is to give them the pictures. And and I know Carl was making uh, a book with some of the pictures for his family. And so that was, that was sweet. It was really nice. I got some uh, some emails from his daughter and her grandson, or her son, his grandson, that saying that those pictures were so special and that she had spent a lot of time with her dad in his studio. So they were that much more special to her. So not just your traditional portrait. So it was good. But then also I, I urge people to go see their actual website because like Patricia's work is so colorful and so amazingly beautiful. And my photographs are in black and white because it's not about the art. It's about mm-hmm. the space and the artist. So I, I link to their to their website so that people can actually see the work in color too. So it's fun. Is this project open-ended or do you have a fixed number that you think you're going to... Well, I'm aiming for 10 by February by the end of February, but uh, I'll probably, and who knows, I may actually shoot it in other countries too, mm-hmm. eventually, or or have a twist to it. But no, it's just, uh, when I, if I get bored with it, I'll stop. Like everything else, if I get bored with something, I, I stop doing it. So, but I'm really having fun. <laughs> it, and it really shows in the photographs and just hearing you talking about it, it's really, I mean, you always got great energy, Valerie, but hearing you talking about this, I can really hear it in your voice. So that's, Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, boy, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cut. (laughs) Yes, and uh, I will pick Lindsay Adario. I'm hoping actually to have her on my podcast soon. She is a war photographer, award-winning photographer. And one, uh, her book, Photographer's Life of Love and War, is a memoir. And it's called It's What I Do. A Photographer's Life of Love and War was my favorite photographer memoir I've ever read. It's so... It's so fascinating. She's a really good writer. And she just published a new book of love and war. And it's uh, photographs of her, of uh, women mostly in all the countries she's visited for in her photojournalist career. Really uh, an amazing woman and an amazing photographer. And just, uh, you know, being a war photographer would be, I mean, just so it's so scary. And then being a, a woman uh, as a war photographer, I just can't even imagine the things that she she's seen and uh, the the things that have happened to her or, or the way she risks her safety. That's just crazy to me. It takes really a, a, a special person to do this kind of work. Yeah, she's a great, great. I'm looking forward to uh, reading her book because I'd heard about it, but I hadn't had a chance to to read it, so I'm going to get it on uh, uh, 
an audio audio version yeah. so I can oh, listen it's to it. Such a, yeah, it's what I do. That's her first book. It's really wonderful. The other one is really a, a book of, of photographs, uh, but the 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 uh, memoir is amazing. Really amazing. Well, very, Valerie, per- very personal. Valerie, thank you so much. It's, I always enjoy having the chance to catch up and, and talk with you. And I'm, and I'm so glad that uh, our po- respective podcasts and the internet have uh, brought us together because uh, I really am very grateful to have you as a, as a friend. So thank you. Same here. Thank you so much, Ibarionex. See you soon. Thanks to Valerie for coming on the show. To find out more about Valerie and her work, visit ValerieJardinPhotography.com. And I'll be in Washington, D.C. in May for the Focus on the Story Photographic Conference. The International Photo Festival will feature some of the world's best photojournalists and documentary photographers, as well as talks, photo walks, and workshops, of which I'll be leading one. If you want to sign up for my workshop or you just want to find out more about the event, visit FocusOnTheStory.org. And some of you may not know that I have a YouTube channel where I discuss different aspects of photography from lighting, composition, and a whole lot more. I do this with the help of images that listeners submit to the Candid Frame Flickr pool. You can check out the TCF Flickr pool and the YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. And my new book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. If you feel stuck or are struggling with making good images on a consistent basis, this book is for you. I believe that it can and will help you to learn a whole new way of seeing. You can order the book today when you place your order from the Rocky Nook website. Make sure to use the promo code PORELLO40 to receive 40% off the list price. Check out the website and the show notes for the link. And if you want to keep up with all things Candid Frame, sign up for our mailing list and you'll receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, please take the time to write a review in the iTunes store as it helps our ranking and creates greater awareness of the show. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon, or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find the links for both in the show notes and the website. Thanks to Roxana Witt for her recent contributions. I so appreciate it. And if you want to easily access every episode of The Candid Frame, download the Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android, and it's free. Download it today. You'll find it where everything else is in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.